Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my first, uh, my guest today is, if I wasn't looking right at her on my screen, I think she was a unicorn because <laughs> she has a pretty interesting interesting background, not, not one that I've ever seen before. She worked as an engineer for a number of years, and then she gave it all up for a life in front of the camera. She has been on, uh, she's been in places like HuffPost Huff Live, Good Morning America, and The Harry Show. And if that wasn't enough, she's also started Till Death Do You Tweet. And it's a seminar offered to both kids and parents about kids' social media habits. Her name is Stephanie Humphrey. Welcome to the, to the channel, Stephanie. Thank you, thank you for having me. Okay, so I mentioned in the, in the intro that you, you were an engineer for a number of years, so obviously you had to have studied engineering. So where did that interest in engineering come from? Um, I was always good in math and science, and, and I thought that uh, in another life it probably would have taken me down the computer science path, um, but as it turns out, the, the scholarship I got, the academic scholarship I got to for undergrad was for engineering majors and not computer science majors, so that sort of made the determination for me, um, and, and yeah, it's, it's worked out so far so good. <laughs> wow, okay, so it, it just happened to be the, the scholarship money you got and that, that was engineering, so engineering it is. Engineering it is, yeah. All right, so what type of engineering did you study in, in school? My undergraduate degree is in electrical engineering, and my master's degree is in telecommunications and networking engineering. Oh, good Lord. You know, that's, a lot, that's a lot of engineering. So, wow. So, of all the engineering, you basically studied probably one of the tougher ones in electrical. I mean, was, was it tough for you? I, I mean, you know, a, a mechanical engineer might, might think differently, but, uh, you know, I, I'd rather take, you know, circuits than statics and dynamics. So, I think it's six in one, half a dozen in the other, really. Yeah, for sure. So, obviously, then you, you, know, you studied engineering in undergrad. You did, as you mentioned, you did a master's degree as well. Then you come out, you want to be, you worked as, I mentioned, you worked as an engineer for a number of years. What do you like most about working as an engineer? Not a whole lot. I'm not going to lie. But I think that was a function of the, I think that was a function of the company I was working for and the type of work they did. I don't want to put anybody on blast. Um, it was a great uh, learning opportunity. It afforded me a great lifestyle at the time. But the work itself just really didn't fulfill me in any measurable way. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So, um, you know, so problem solving is what engineers do. That was all, that's always a, a part of what we do, whether in, in a traditional, you know, corporate career type job or, you know, in whatever that, in whatever we do. So, you know, the chance to solve problems was always, always a, um, a highlight, but the actual work just, was not something that I can look back very fondly on, honestly. Oh, wow. So how long, how long did you actually stay at, at that job for? 
way too long, <laughs> like 13 years. And I think I had, I, the idea was that I'd shift into a different department or, you know, relocate to somewhere, you know, else and do some other things. But, uh, you know, circumstances and life just happened and it didn't happen like that. So uh, I probably, uh, well, I don't want to say I stayed too long. I stayed as long as I was supposed to stay. And then, you know, I was able to find something else that, that fed my spirit a little bit better. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned that the, the job or the, the company you were at wasn't really you know, you didn't really like it that much and you end up staying there for 13 years. I think most people probably then just go and get another engineering job, but it doesn't seem like that's what you did. Is there a reason why you completely left engineering after that job? It's so funny. And when I, there was a, there was a gap between the time that I left my engineering job and the time that I kind of became Tech Life Steph, and and it was a gap of, of probably four years or so where Ooh. I was I was in the entertainment industry. So I did some acting, I did some modeling, I did some hosting. Um, I, I did all those things. I reported traffic for the local news here. You know, a lot of different things. And I think you know when I did finally sort of circle back to my roots, so to speak, and and marry my technical background with my media training, uh, I spent like the better part of a day wondering what I had been doing that whole time, basically. And I, and I think what, what happened was that I had so closely married the idea of being an engineer with what I was doing at that time at that company that I sort of threw it all the way. Basically, I was like, I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I was like, I don't want to be an engineer if this is what it means to be an engineer. But, you know, as I as I thought about it and kind of analyzed it, 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 that is not the one way that you can be an engineer. That's not the one way you can be technical. So um, that was what I think I was doing. That's when I when I left that job. I just I was leaving that entire system you know, the corporate structure, org charts, meetings upon meetings. I was leaving that whole system behind, um, but I kind of left engineering behind with it when, you know, that's a part of who I am. Wow. Okay. So after you left your job, you said it was four years of, I mean, I mean even to come up with doing those things, acting, hosting, well, modeling. I mean, where did the idea to do even that come from? God, honestly, I, I, you know, I'm a person of faith and it was never anything I had ever aspired to do. I wasn't the little kid at home, you know, doing fashion shows or, or holding a brush as a microphone, acting like I was on TV. Like I just, and it wasn't that I didn't think I could do it. I just had never considered it. It was just nothing I had ever even considered doing. And um, a friend of mine, I was actually pursuing fitness as my exit strategy at the time. I was certified to teach group fitness. I was teaching kickboxing at a couple different places outside of my regular nine to five, my engineering job. And I was planning to get certified to be a personal trainer. And at the time, a woman that I went to the gym with asked me to be in a fashion show. She was like, wow, you look great. You know, we'll put you in something and show off your stomach or whatever. And you can come and I'll give you a discount. She was, she was the manager of a retail store. And she said she could give me a discount on anything that I bought that night for, for being in this fashion show. And as it turns out, there was a woman there uh, that was my friend that I work out with she had some regular people like me and then she actually knew a woman that had a modeling agency who 
brought some of her models as well. So that woman uh, approached me and said, hey, do you model full time? You were great. You should think about it, you know, and and that was the seed that was planted. I was like, you know, I, did, I didn't think much of it at the time. I said, well, maybe I can, you know, do a couple of local fashion shows, make some extra money on the side, have a little something different to do besides sitting in a cubicle in front of a computer all day. And, and that was really my only motivation for it. But, you know, like I said, God had other plans and it, and it sort of just snowballed into all of the other things that I had an opportunity to do. Wow. Interesting. That's, I mean, <laughs> I, I I've never heard anything like this, but I, I think it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been charting my own path since, you know, 2007. That's, that's, that's excellent, Stephanie. I, I really admire the fact that, you, you know, you went to school for engineering, probably one of the more difficult undergraduate majors to get. And so when people get that kind of degree, they kind of want to stick with it because it took so much time and effort to get it. But then you kind of just said, you know what, screw that. I'm going to do something else. And now you're tech like Steph. So exactly. the, the idea of tech like Steph. So where, what was the, 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 the beginnings of tech like Steph? So now you're, you're, you're bringing in your, I guess your, your media training, obviously, you know, you mentioned you've been doing hosting, modeling, acting. So you're obviously good in front of the camera. And you want to marry that with your knowledge of technology because of your engineering background. Right. So now you, you, you've married those two things together. How did you go about finding, I guess, avenues to showcase this new, this new venture, Tech Life Step? Well, it was a process. It, you know, I, I built brick by brick, basically. I started um, blogging back in 2011. And just as a way to showcase the fact that I could write and, you know, use that and, and, and sort of grow the brand organically on my own first. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was um, great because I was getting a, a bit of a following. I had folks sending me product and I was doing reviews and different stuff like that. I got a lot of uh, phones, first looks at phones and different things like that and devices. And, and so I used my own uh, blogging platform to write for higher profile media outlets. So from my, my blog was a matter of life and tech. And I used that to start writing for The Root. I, I originated a column for The Root at the time called tech to go And then I was able to parlay that into becoming the tech writer for Ebony.com. And I wrote for Black Enterprise and The Rio and a couple other outlets, but I was, I was, you know, under contract with Ebony.com as their tech writer. And then parlayed that into the television since I had this, you know, media background now and now sort of, you know, had credentials to call myself a tech expert because I can tell you um, just having an engineering degree does not necessarily qualify you as a tech expert in the media, or at least it didn't for me. Um, it was a pretty um, humbling experience when, you know, I'm like, well, I'm an engineer. Why wouldn't you put me on television and talk about technology? And people are like, so what? So, you know, I, I had to sort of build my credentials through the writing that I was doing for, for different platforms and, and, and higher profile platforms before um, anyone on the TV side would take me seriously. So uh, once I was writing for Ebony, I wrote for Ebony for about two years and uh, was able to parlay that into um, local television here in Philadelphia. So I, and I still do segments for uh, the Fox affiliate here in Philadelphia in addition to the other stuff that I do. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I mean, th I'm sure there are people who are listening in or they'll listen to this eventually and they, they might feel stuck in their job. Just like you said, you stayed at your job 
he said 13 years and you didn't even like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are people that are that are going through that right now. You know, as 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 we're as we're as we're chatting, and they probably don't see an end to the end at the you know a light I guess at the end of the tunnel, or they think that even if they wanted to do something else, that that, that that's just not possible. I mean, the 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 only option they probably would have they would th even think that they'd have is to just leave that job and just get another engineering job. And if that one doesn't work out, and then go somewhere else and get another engineering job, and another one, another, another one. But what they actually may want to do could be completely different from engineering, but your, your I guess your identity as an engineer kind of takes, I won't, I won't say it takes a hit, but it certainly changes when you're not working in engineering anymore. I mean, did, did you experience that? And, and if you did, how did you deal with it? Oh, I experience that right now. I mean, with with tech startups and 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 that whole part of technology being so um, popular now and sexy now, and everybody's an entrepreneur and every company's a tech company, and you know that whole thing. You know, I, I find that I don't necessarily fit into those circles anymore. And when when I'm out in the tech community, so to speak, you know, those folks look at me like I'm crazy. Like, well, what do you do? You know, where's your app? What what's your startup? What's your company do? What's this? I'm like, oh, I'm kind of a you know, I'm a tech journalist. I'm a media personality. You know, I don't really do those things anymore. So you know, there there definitely is a bit of um, um, I don't even know what to call it, disdain maybe, uh, when I'm in those spaces before I have to kind of shut them down with my engineering degrees and, and let them know that I'm not just, you know, some chick on television. Uh, it's, but yeah, it, it is definitely a, a thing where if you're, if you're not a working, practicing engineer, people um, tend to kind of write you off to a certain degree. Huh. You, know, you know what? It might very well be jealousy because they're looking at you like you 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 look at what she's been able to do. She's not at a desk. She's not working in some co-working space. She's doing. She's on TV and she started off where we started off in an engineering class, just like you know, just like the rest of us. And look at this interest, interesting life she's carved out for herself. So I mean, you could, that could very well be it too. It, it, listen, whatever it is, I'm just out here living my best life, trying to do the best that I can, and. And, and hopefully, you know, sort of pave a way because it, it, it's, it's challenging when you're doing something that, you know, not necessarily hasn't been done before, but hasn't had any visibility around it. Because, you know, I, thought, I know a couple of um, uh, black female tech journalists, but um, not anybody that has been able to grow their platform um, to this level. And, um, and I'm hoping that I'm inspiring somebody, you know, that's watching. Damn right. So where did the idea from Dil Till Death Do You Tweet come from? So that was uh, actually motivated by um, a desire not to put children to sleep in class. I had, when I was an engineer, um, I was being asked to come to career day quite frequently by my friends that were educators and, you know, had after school programs and nonprofits and different things like that. And because of what I did, um, you know, this is probably going to give away who I worked for. Uh, my job was, was classified. So I wasn't able to talk a lot about what I did at work. I could just say, I'm an engineer. I solve problems. I do, you know, systems analysis, you know, it, it, it meant nothing to uh, a seventh grader or, or, or a 10th greater and you know there was no way that I could even make it sound sexy or, or sound like something they might want to pursue so um when I when I was asked to come speak I would say you know 
let me talk to them about social media and how they can avoid making social media mistakes. I've come up with this, you know, little talk. It was actually, I think it was called what happens on the internet stays on the internet back then. And, um, and, and I just started to see how much that was resonating with the students because it was something they were into. They were all into their phones and social media was, you know, everywhere. And, and we were, we were just getting into that um, era where, where we did have kids that were digital natives and that was kind of all they knew, but, um, but they were getting in a lot of trouble and there were, you know, the suicides were ramping up and the bullying and the cyberbullying and that whole thing. So um, about, I, you know, so that was, I was going into schools when I was invited to, to do, to do this talk and about, two, almost three years ago now, I said, you know what, I think there's something here. Uh, the kids are really, you know, kids are DMing me. And, you know, I had a young lady reach out, tweet me four years after I spoke at her school, you know, talking about how she is finally proud of her online brand, you know, remembering what I, what I told her four years, you know, before that. So it was like, there's, there's definitely something here. Um, and there's definitely a way to uh, monetize it because, you know, we, we love our passions, but we also got bills. And, and so I, um, you know, started really putting some marketing behind it, got a logo designed um, and, and really got out there and started hustling to schools and, and community centers. And, and now, you know, so that you tweet now is um, sort of multi-pronged. So I speak to students parents, teachers, and professionals. So there's a corporate version as well um, that helps people understand how to be good digital citizens. Wow, that's, 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 pretty, that's, that's impressive too. You know, I, I, you know, with the advent of the internet and then social media, I wouldn't want to be a kid today because when I was a kid, you know, if you got bullied at school, it, it stayed at school. You, you didn't follow your home. <laughs> These poor kids, you know, you know, notifications at, at four o'clock in the morning and their phone is pinging 24 hours a day with these people, you know, telling them that they're fat and ugly and kill yourself and all the rest of this. It's just like, it, it's not possible for a young person whose brain is still developing to be able to deal with that kind of thing. And, and it's not just from one person, it's from 10 people or it's from a hundred people or it's from, you know, the entire internet that now has decided to comment on your YouTube video and, and you have 10,000 comments of people, you know, saying negative things to you so it, it really really is important to help them understand you know what this whole thing means and and how to manage it a little bit better and not get so caught up in in that side of it okay well you i mean just out of curiosity you mentioned that till death do you tweet i actually didn't know this but you, you said that there's a corporate version as well so what exactly do you talk to to, to corporate clients about so I help them, um, and I'm, I apologize, there's a fire alarm going on outside my, my house. Um, I talk to them about their digital footprint and understanding that they have one. I think a lot of, you know, adults now, especially older adults, feel like, well, I'm not online that much anyway, or I don't have any social accounts or whatever. I'm like, even if you've never set foot on a social media platform, you still have a digital footprint. And, and, and there's still the possibility for it to sustain damage, especially if you get confused for someone else online, if someone steals your identity, if, you know, all kind, there are all kind of little things that can happen. And it's not just social media, it's Google searches, it's email, it's text messaging, it's group chats. So it's, it's all of that electronic uh, communication that you need to be mindful of. And because it's there and because 
you know, there is something about you that lives on the internet, it is in your best interest to manage it, you know, and then to, and to have some control over what people see when they Google you because they will. And, and so it's just a, you know, the, 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 the beginning idea is to get adults to understand that they need to take some ownership for their digital footprint as it relates to their online brand. And then we get into typically most companies, um, want their employees to have a better LinkedIn presence. So there's usually uh, a LinkedIn sort of deep dive uh, where we get into kind of the how to's and what your profile should look like and, and that whole thing. And then there's a conversation about how to separate personal and professional because, you know, we can all use that help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, okay. Well, another thing I wanted to, to, to just to, to discuss is, well, obviously, because you're a media personality, you have to be pretty comfortable in front of the cameras or speaking in front of the camera. And so your, I guess your proficiency with, with public speaking, have you always been good at it? And if not, what did you do to get better? Yeah, I, I like to run my mouth. I mean, <laughs> that... Uh... That kind of was 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 natural, and and I was sort of born with it. I I um I can't say that I have ever taken any classes or you know did Toastmasters or anything like that. I just um I try to only speak when I believe in what I'm saying, if that makes any sense. So, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, so that kind of gives me the confidence that I need to 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 say what I have to say, and um. And, and my voice has always sounded like this. So that kind of helped out as well. I, I was told I sounded like a newscaster when I was like 13 years old. So I, I think the voice carries a little bit of weight on its own. And then, you know, I just try to, like I said, make sure I, I believe in what I'm saying. And, um, and, and, and I don't have a ton of self-consciousness, really. Um, so whatever I'm doing in front of the camera is what I'm doing. And, and I'm not super concerned with, you know, how I might look or, or what somebody else might be thinking about it. Um, that sort of frees you up really to just deliver your message and, and keep it as authentic as possible. For sure. I, I think you're absolutely right on, on that point of speaking when you actually believe in what you're saying. I actually mentioned this in, in my course, Teach the Geek to Speak. When I, I remember when I was in high school and we used to do, you know, debates where you have a pro side and a con side and you'd be assigned one of those sides. And it, I always found it really difficult to debate on the side if I didn't agree with that side. Mm -hmm. And, and I, 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 it's just, it's so important. And it just, it comes across as more authentic when you actually believe what you're saying. And I think people can tell. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, in a sense, there is always some nugget that you can find about a debate that you believe in, you know what I mean? Or, or, or some angle, you know, some things are just so egregious that, that there is no justification for them. But um, I think when it comes to most topics, there's, there's always, you, gotta, you might have to dig, um, but there's always that little thing that, that you can grab onto that you can build um, an argument around. Yeah, maybe I'm just too lazy. I don't want to do too much. <laughs> so when it comes to public speaking, do you have any kind of, whenever you have to give a speech or a presentation in front of people, do you have a process that you follow? And if so, what is it? Um, I, well, if there's a, uh, you know, I, I try to think about what somebody else is going to care about. Um, you know, if, if, if there's not necessarily a theme that I've been given that I have to stick to, um, you know, I try to 
tailor what I'm saying to whatever the theme of the event is. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it becomes about the storytelling, you know, it, it's not a whole lot of facts and figures and, and, and numbers and statistics and, and things like that. You know, I, I'm really just lining up stories one after the other, you know, whether they're my own personal stories or, or stories of other, of other people, it, it really becomes about the stories and, and that's what sort of rounds out the talk. So um, I would say, you know, think about what you want folks to take away from it. So it's like, you kind of have to reverse engineer the talk in a, in a certain, to a certain extent. So, um, you know, you think about what you want them to leave with and then sort of craft the story uh, backwards from there and, and, and tell stories and just tell, it really is just when you think about all the speakers that, that have really, you know, touched you and, and you still remember the things that they said, they were just telling stories. They, they weren't, you know, trying to dazzle you with, with all this expert knowledge of, of something. Um, they, were, they were probably just telling you stories and, and those stories touched you because you found something in them that, that you could relate to. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Stephanie, when it comes to telling stories. You know, I, I, I often tell people when, when you were a kid and maybe you had your parents and you read you a bedtime story when, before you went to sleep and you really liked those stories back then, it's not as if once you became an adult, you stopped liking stories. Stories exactly. are a great way. To, to get to to get people engaged and and listening to what you're saying and as as far as your point on on what's on what what you want people to get what what you want people to leave with once you're done your presentation I, I call that the, I guess the call to action you want if you want them to do something you want to make that very clear in your in your presentation as well I think those are really great points so <clears throat> whenever before I give a speech and I think before most people give a speech. They're perhaps a little a bit nervous. Are you ever nervous before you give a presentation? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, I don't know that I would call it nervous. The only time I'm ever nervous or anxious is when I don't feel like I've prepared well enough um, because I know I'm going to be winging it. <laughs> and it's funny because sometimes I wing it on purpose just for the practice of winging it because uh, I think you need that also that kind of extemporaneous. Uh, practice as well, but um, you know, I, I I might get a little a little hype or whatever, but you know, I, I sort of let that adrenaline fuel the speech. Um, but yeah, I at this point, honestly, like you know, I, I've done live television, so <laughs> like speaking in front of a group of people really is not is not that big a deal for me. I I have not yet spoken in front of you know tens of thousands, so maybe when I get into that 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 huge auditorium you know that might be a little bit different when you see 10,000 seats in front of you but I mean you know I, I've spoken in front of hundreds of students at a time and had to wrangle you know 300 ninth graders to to get their attention so um at this point like it, it's just it just is what it is if you're if you're prepared if you're ready to go just tell your story you know just do it for sure are there certain things that your favorite speakers do that keep your attention? Um, Besides telling stories, of course. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. Um, I, I, I do 
it'd probably be, be easier for me to say what I don't like about there, there are a lot of things like I, I don't I'm not crazy about when speakers um, continue to ask questions of the audience and, or, or like require affirmation. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Stephanie. So, you know, I, I've seen this myself. I find it very annoying. So they'll like they'll they'll ask a question and they'll put their hand up, right? And they expect you to put your hand up too. Is that what you're talking right. about? Right. Or, or yeah, just like you know, or like I actually I went to a, I was at a panel discussion the other day actually, and, and the guy who was moderating the panel he kept like every now and again, and I guess he felt like he was reinforcing you know whatever idea he was talking about at the time, but he he would ask us to repeat kind of the last part of what he just said. So if he's like you know you know. Um, turn your pain into power to say pain into power like like kind of like church almost and, and, you know, i love church and and rev you know you let rev go on and and i think that's the place for that go ahead rev amen rev you know can i get an amen that irks my soul though when i hear a, 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 a kind of a regular speaker do it because it just seems gratuitous um it it, it it, it, it only sir I mean like I said there I guess there are some people in the audience that 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 you know relate to that identify with that and and it, and it causes and it does cause people to re-engage I understand why people do it because if you maybe weren't paying attention or if he was he or she was losing you that does cause you to have to re-engage and 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 you know pay attention basically again or, or or give him you know even more of your undivided attention but you know I, it, it just seems like a gimmick to me it just seems very gimmick and gimmicky to me I feel like if if what you're saying is compelling enough you know you, sh you, you shouldn't lose most of the audience you're gonna lose one or two no matter what you do but you know if you're saying if what you're saying is compelling enough you should be able to hold the audience you know just with the story alone yeah, I, you know, as I said, Stephanie, I fully, <clears throat> I fully agree with you. One of my, one of my pet peeves when it comes to the speakers is those that go over time. So uh, I, I've been to a number of conferences, you know, back when I worked as an engineer, I went to a number of conferences on behalf of the company. And, you know, during the, the conference, there'd always be speakers and, you know, you go watch the speakers and, and, you know, these conferences have, uh, there's an agenda. And so you're, you're looking through the agenda. You see how long this person is supposed to go. And, and this is especially, you know, who's definitely guilty of this are the academic people. So people oh, at the universities, oh, man, they're the worst. No so, sense of time whatsoever. None. You know why that is? It's because they likely didn't practice their presentation at all. They're just reading off the slides. So yeah. they, didn't, they didn't practice anything. So they're just going. And a lot of times you don't even, you don't even know what they look like. You see the back of their head because they're turning around and look at the damn slides. Yeah, they're just reading, yeah, they're just reading off slides. I'm like, yeah, I can read your slides. You can read uh, the desk and I don't need to be here. Yeah, for, for, for real. Like, that, that's a, often what would end up happening a lot of times is I go to the presentations to go take a nap because they got chairs there. There you go. There you go. And that's the thing, at, at the same panel I was at, like everybody kept saying, Long story short, long story. I'm like, it's not short though. You're keeping it a long story because you you say long story short, but then you talk for another ten minutes. Right? <laughs> you're supposed to be 
condensing things and making a long story shorter and then well long story short you know and then this happened and then long story short I, oh my god it just it just it hurts my soul hurts my soul I went to this conference recently this must have been maybe yeah this must have been last month and it was it was a one day conference and it was just packed I think there was over twenty presentations but there were well there were short presentations or well, at least they were supposed to be short five minutes for most of them and. I, 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 I kid you not, Stephanie, at, at some point, at, at, actually at several points, I had to get up, actually physically get up, leave the room, and run up and down the stairs just so I could stay awake to go back exactly. in and sit down. It was ridiculous. And, you know, it was a technical conference, so, it was, well, it's a medical device conference, so a lot of people were, you know, obviously talking about medical devices, and, they were, and their speeches were going over time. They were using a whole bunch of jargon that not necessarily everybody understood. It was just, it was, it was just, it was horrible. Oh. It is, it is. It's unfortunate that, you know, um, like technical people tend to not have those skills, but, you know, those are the people that need to present and, and they're doing the work and the research and, and discovering all these great things and, and, and just don't have that other side of, of their brain really um, to, to communicate what they're doing effectively to other people. For sure. I mean, that's the main reason I developed my, my course, Teach the Geek to Speak, in the first place. It was to help people, well, frankly, for, to help people like myself. So when I first started, you know, having to give presentations, I used to have to do it in front of senior management every month as a project lead. And I, I sucked at it. I was terrible. I was, I was just like the people I complain about now. I'd read the slides. I'd have a whole bunch of technical jargon in there. And not everybody that was in the audience, not all the management have a technical background. So it very well could have been me just talking about things that they had, they couldn't relate to and, and probably stopped listening, looking on their phones, you know, doing that kind of thing. But, you know, after a lot of time and a lot of feedback from others, I got a lot better at it. So I developed this course to basically help people not, uh, I guess, have the, do the things that annoy us now. <laughs> exactly. These For sure. So is there anything else that you'd like people to know regarding all the things that you're doing? Just follow me on Instagram at Tech Life Step. I do a 60-second tech break every week. Uh, Wednesdays, they usually drop at 3 p.m. Just a quick little nugget that you can watch, learn, and do. And, um, and I think they've been really effective at just getting uh, – that knowledge out there to people that may not necessarily consider themselves techie. Uh, it, it's always just some real actionable, I'm all about actionable uh, things. So it's, it's, you know, you watch for a minute and then you, you learn something new about technology and then you go and implement it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, excited and happy with the way those are turning out. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Just, just watch for me. I'll be on screen for you soon. Okay. Excellent. So in addition, I guess in, and yeah, well, in addition to finding you on Instagram at Tech Life Step, are there other ways that you would like people to contact you? Absolutely. If you're interested in my seminar, Till Death Do You Tweet, you can visit tilldeathdoyoutweet.com. Um, there we, there is information on uh, booking and also for parents. I have an online course, which uh, basically mimics the presentation that I give in person uh, in a video format. So there are video modules that you can go through and, and take some quizzes at the end and, and really learn about what your kids are doing online and how you can help them and have that conversation with them about being a better digital citizen. 
Excellent. All right. So desiutweet.com, then Instagram, Tech Life Steph. People can find you at, at those various outlets. Excellent. Again, the, thank you for, 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 for chatting with me, Stephanie. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. So again, my name is Neil Thompson, the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering is a public speaking course, and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care.